Hello, my friends. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas, and this is an episode of Life Over Coffee. It is number 346. I'm excited about this podcast. I got something special for you, and you are going to like it. You have your advance notice. I'm doing an interview with Dave Forbes, who lives in Colorado Springs. In fact, we are in Dave's basement right now. And uh, he was sharing a story a couple of weeks ago. Dave is a former NHL hockey player. He played for a number of years, and he will talk to you about that. But he was sharing a story, just an incredible divine intervention of the Lord as he was providentially guiding Dave into an event that happened in his life several decades ago. And then in the last, what, what, several months? Is it several months, Dave? Yeah, several months. Yeah. Several months ago, uh, God was uh, not putting a bow on the end of the story, but but uh, it's, it's, it's a continuation of the story. And as he was telling me this, I was like, wow, I want to interview you about this because this is a story of God's work in reconciliation. Dave and Laura Beth Forbes, they are supporters of our ministry. They stumbled upon our ministry a number of years ago, and they have uh, been a wonderful, they've been wonderful servants of the Lord to help us to do what we do. And so when we came to Colorado Springs on this speaking tour that we're currently on, and he told that story, it's like, I do want to put this uh, on audio. And so that's what we are doing now. And I'm going to let Dave explain it. Uh, but Dave, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, this is your first podcast. How are you feeling over there? Well, my hands are a little clammy, <laughs> but apart from that, I feel fine. Thank you. Uh, you are a professional. This will go uh, quite well. All right, so Dave, let's get the most important things out of the way. Uh, so Tampa Bay uh, won the NHL championship this year, right? They did. They won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, the Stan Stanley Cup, right? It's the Stanley Cup, and they kiss. Everyone kisses the cup. Is that right? Is that it? Apparently, is that way? Yeah. I uh, never was in that place of being a winner, but uh, uh, yeah, that's what the guys do. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's start right there. So, uh, you were an NHL hockey player. So, who did you play for? I played mostly for the Boston Bruins. I played four years uh, with the Bruins and then one year with Washington, uh, the Capitals in the NHL. In yeah. The and so you're a Canadian by birth, right? I am a Canadian by birth, yeah. All right, so all of our Canadian uh, friends, uh, this is a big shout-out for you. We have our first Canadian interview with uh, hockey player, former hockey player uh, Dave Forbes. All right, so Dave, uh, just start at any point point that you want uh, in as you were telling me this story a couple of weeks ago of who you were as a hockey player how you played hockey the incident that we are going to be talking about uh, on the ice uh, just I'll just let you just jump in at any point and, and start creating that story for us okay well who I was as a hockey player um, I uh uh, began my professional career with the Boston Bruins two years in the minors in the Bruins organization and then I made it to the Bruins team in 1973. All of that was completely unexpected. I had a dream as a young Canadian boy growing up uh, like most Canadian boys of, uh, of playing professional hockey even in the NHL. Um, never thought that would come true for me. Uh, now, I, I, I do want to. I mean, I, you're not going to say this, but so I, I will have to interrupt you from time to time. That uh, 
to get on to make it to the NHL, I mean, you had some serious game. I mean, honestly, uh, they're very selective, and it's a small group of people. And and truly, God has given you a gift, you know, an athletic gift to be be able to play, you know, at that level. And professionally, you played what nine nine years uh, in different. Uh, places and so as a child was this your own uh, desire or did your parents influence you or they applauded it I imagine um, I guess my parents influenced it in a small way um, my mother uh, got me out on an outdoor skating rink in the freezing cold of winter and uh, bought me a pair of skates and uh, it encouraged me to learn how to skate and so on and so forth, but there was no sort of undue pressure in in any way. It but was early, just, it was just kind of in the water up there, kind the of Canadians. And what province were you? Uh, well, I was born in Montreal in the province okay. of Quebec, and uh, hockey was then a very big uh, uh, thing and still is, I believe. Right. But that was just something that was in my heart, and uh, I I never thought you know it would come true i had many people give me a whole host of reasons why it would not <laughs> hey forbes do you know how small you are and uh, what you need to you know all that kind of uh, okay so there is i guess there's a, a certain stature a height a weight yeah i was uh, small and uh, um so that was a reality that I had to deal with. But the desire that I had in my heart to play, I think, uh, allowed me to overcome that. You know, desire, I think, is a huge part of uh, any step in, in, in a forward direction. And I really had a deep desire. And, and you're right. God gave me certainly abilities. Uh, any ability that anybody has is God-given. And so that is certainly true, was true of me for sure. We talk about in counseling that uh, people that want to do formalized biblical counseling, as, as we know, everybody is a, a counselor at some level or a disciple maker. But a burden doesn't always equal calling. A burden doesn't always equal competency, and everybody that has a burden is not necessarily called or gifted to do formalized biblical counseling. And so that applies to hockey players as well. Now, you had a passion that seems to be burning, and obviously we're looking at the end of the story. you You had the competence to do it. But were there any moments uh, where you started listening to the gainsayers and like, maybe I shouldn't do this, or, or you just kept plowing ahead? Yeah, I'm sure there were moments um, when I listened to them and sat myself down and said, maybe I ought to rethink this. But I think more my response was, okay, I'm going to show <laughs> you. Um but certainly, as I look back, it, the, the term now in my life is the providence of God. Back then, it was circumstances right. Right. worked out, just a series of circumstances. Now we would call it perseverance, where back then we might call it stubbornness. And <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm going to show you. Yeah. Uh, and so the gift of perseverance. Because you weren't a Christian then, right? I, I was not a Christian then, no. All right, so let's move forward. Now you're playing for the uh, Boston Bruins. Uh, and what was your role, a uh, primary role? You got ice time, right? 
I did get ice time. I was uh, with the Bruins. I was uh, on the lower end of the team's roster. We had some uh, am- amazingly great players on those teams I played on. Did and you were where was Bobby Orr at this time? Yeah, Bobby Orr was playing on those teams. Oh, uh, did you play with him? Uh-huh. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So that was amazing being in the dressing room with Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and yep. Derek Sanders and Jerry Cheevers. There was a whole host of uh, very accomplished players, well right. recognized players. So I was uh really trying to do my best to stay there <laughs> getting there is one right, thing right. and staying there is another so what, i was what's the average life expectancy or career expectancy of of an NHL player i think uh, the last time this is some years ago it was a little over 4 years so yeah. and um, and you had told me that before and and i wanted to state that publicly because you played a lot longer than four years and so you were doing more than hanging on by a thread you had some legitimate game even at the end of the bench uh well i don't know i don't know how to respond to that but uh, my view was i needed to to really keep myself together and uh, and work on continuing to improve so that i i could stay there right And so uh, what was your playing demeanor uh, when you were on the ice? Um, what were you noted for? How did you, 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 you had some, you, you brought something to the game, pun intended. Well, uh, being on the small side, um, an advantage I had was speed. I was fast okay. and uh, I was a good skater. And uh, so that was obviously really helpful. And um, um, I was... Um, a, a winger, a left or a right winger, and uh, I, I think I could shoot reasonably well. So I would say um, those were two. And then I was a, a, a checking uh, kind of a player. I would, uh, you know, be okay going in the corners and checking and hitting and being hit. <laughs> right. Uh, those kind of things. That that was a part of the game that I I I, I really quite enjoyed. Um, and, and so it, it sort of came with having decent speed and, um, you know, being okay doing those kinds of things in the course of a game. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's move forward. Uh, there was an incident that happened that is uh, well known, you know, within the hockey world. And, of course, historical hockey fans will, will resonate with this because they're familiar with it. So you want to set it up. Uh, what happened and with Henry Boucher. Yeah, Henry Boucher, yes. Um, we were on the road. The Bruins were in uh, January of 1975, and as I remember, I think that began in late December. Uh, we had a reasonably extended road trip, and we were playing Minnesota in Minnesota on uh, an early January night in 1975. And the game was... Um, Unusual in the sense that it was a chippy game. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what do I mean by that? Well, there, there were just a little extra, uh, you know, bumps and gloves in the face and elbows and sticks and things like that. We use that term with our children uh, sometimes. Y'all being a little too chippy today, and it's the uh, accumulative sin pattern that goes on uh, in their lives and our lives too because I can be chippy too. We can have a chippy game uh, during any given day and and that's just where we just need to 
uh, go to the penalty box actually and and and, and take a, a five minute time out and just work through it because and I think everybody can relate to that some days you're just you're not clicking well together with your spouse or children or whatever but now so it's happening on in an actual hockey game and uh, so this is the the game that you're playing uh, against uh, Henry Boucher played for which Henry played for Minnesota. Back then, they were the Minnesota North Stars, and Henry was a right winger, and I was playing left wing. And okay, yeah, and and we were very frequently um, against each other. We were opposing each other. So a left winger and a right winger on the other team, you line up side by side. You played him before. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and hockey is a very territorial game for sure uh, that when you're a winger you want to be controlling that side of the ice so you do a variety of things to let the other person know so there's a vying back and forth as to who's going to be in charge on that side of the ice so you have all the goings on that connect to that kind of objective and so they were certainly true in that game as I remember as I look back on mm-hmm. it yeah all right so uh you checked Henry and then what happened yeah, and, the, and checking <clears throat> means you knocked him up against the glass or yes there was a face-off uh, in um, in the Minnesota corner in their end of the ice and the puck went into the corner and and Henry went in and I went in right behind him and checked him and uh, uh and uh I subsequently got a penalty for that, and when we came off the boards, a, a, a fight uh, began. Between you and Henry? Between Henry and I, okay. yeah, and uh, and it was the kind of fight that um, didn't last very long, and uh, one, of our, one of my teammates came in. Back then, um, you could have your teammate come in and help you out, so... Um, so one of our my teammates came in and and helped me out, and then Henry and I each got a five minute major penalty and a two minute minor penalty each. So we had seven minutes of game time in the penalty box. And that calmed you down, and you were ready to uh, come out on the ice and and play in a civil manner. Do I have that right? Yeah, I wish I could say that, uh, Rick. It, it, <laughs> All right, what were you doing in the penalty box, you and Henry? Well, when we went into the penalty box, we were uh, really yelling back and forth at each other. Um, And uh, so it was anything but a calm and quiet uh, demeanor uh, for me. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so... um, Now, you've talked about uh, you had anger issues back then. Is that true? Do I have that right? Yes. Yeah, I I, I did. And and there was even an an approach, a philosophy, if you will, um, uh, of, of a hockey player that anger is your friend, um, that uh, you, you can be angry and express anger in a hockey game and have it be good uh, relative to the outcome of the game. Um, for example, there were times uh, when um, the team is a little lackluster and so on, so if you start a fight with okay. somebody, yep. that that will pick everybody up. Yeah. So things like that. Or, or if you really check someone hard or something like that, it would change the tempo of the game and, and change the outcome of the game. So, so the team rolls into town. Uh, they've been traveling a lot. They're tired, a little bit lethargic, and uh, 
you can just start something, uh, anger emotionally, and, and kind of charge everybody up. All right, so you're sitting there in the penalty box with your major and minor, and you're thinking about coming out across, coming out of the penalty box eventually, and you guys are still chippy back and forth in the penalty box. So what was going through your mind as you were processing the end of the penalty time and ent- coming back on the ice? Yeah, that's a good question. In in the Minnesota uh, rink, in the building at that time, for some reason that I, I still don't understand, the, the Bruins bench and the Minnesota bench were on the other side of the ice, and the penalty boxes for both Henry and I were over on the other side of the ice. Mm-hmm. However, in order to get, for each of us to get to our penalty box, we had to cross each other. <laughs> Why they did that, I don't know. So I was trying to prepare myself. I, again, um, you know, my size, and I never viewed myself as a good fighter, um, um, but I would stick my nose in there nevertheless uh, and get beat up most of the time. Um, so I was trying to prepare myself and, and okay, what, how's this going to look, us crossing paths and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So, so I was trying to get myself ready for that. All right, so you, you come out. Well, I'm kind of thinking about this. So I'm not a good fighter, but I would stick my nose in it. I was kind of working through the psyche of that kind of <laughs> individual who uh, basically you become a punching bag but nevertheless we won't go to we won't do a deep dive into your psyche at that moment of of not being a good fighter but yet sticking your nose into things nevertheless you come out of the penalty box and you crisscross because you have to go to your own uh, benches what happened well let me uh if if i can come back to your point on anger i i was i was i think more angry i was the most angry in my life at that time of course impossible to measure that but i know i was very very angry just as an angry man uh generally day in day out okay oh no 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 i'm talking about this particular moment oh this event in the penalty box so that really set you off it did it really did yeah yeah all right so so you strategize you're coming out of the penalty box and you've got to go in a diagonal way across and so you're crisscrossing right so I can't be absolutely sure that this is what happened, but I think be, because of my anger, uh, but I, I think it is what happened based on the injury that Henry received and so on. So um, yeah, so I first want to say, because I want to be careful to say this, whatever it was that I did to Henry was based on this rage that mm-hmm. was inside of me. Mm-hmm. It was cowardly. It was, mm-hmm. it harmed Henry and such a profound way um and so when i came out of that penalty box i think i went to him as quickly as i could and i was carrying my stick in a certain way that the butt end of the stick i think came up and hit henry in his right eye socket and injured his right eye very badly Mm -hmm. um and again, I can't be 100% sure and step by step what happened from when I left the penalty box until, um, you know, after that moment because I was just so angry. Yeah, I saw the uh, YouTube uh, video, and of course, back then in 1975, they 
didn't have the technology like they have today. And, of course, nobody was anticipating what was going to happen, so the cameras weren't even on use. So it was kind of a, a, a second or two delayed, and then Forbes and Boucher are on the ground and then are on the ice, and then it breaks out in another spot where there's more uh, fighting. And so the accidentally the uh, hockey stick went into his eye. He was... He was bleeding, and then next. Yeah, it 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 was not my intent uh, right. to injure Henry in the way that he was injured. Did you feel bad about that after it happened? Yeah, I felt very bad about it. Okay. I, I can remember this. This there are a few little things I remember. I remember going in the dressing room after that, and uh, Terry O'Reilly was in the dressing room because he was the third man in the fight prior to us going in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Terry, if, if, if this is who I really am, I don't want to play this game anymore. Yep. So uh, after the event, of course, uh, they carried Henry off uh, on a stretcher, I believe. I believe that's correct. Yeah, I think yep. that's, I saw that on the video. So his eye was damaged, and um, it affected you tremendously. And then, of course, the NHL had to rule on this. There had to be uh, some kind of uh, action on you. And, and then it was actually more than that. And so you want to walk us through that. Yeah, the uh, uh, then um, who would have been called the commissioner, uh, Clarence Campbell, held a hearing and uh, to determine the, the penalty for me and uh, – so I was uh, involved in that and received a 10-game suspension. So back then, I think we played 72 or 74 games, something like that. So 10 games uh, suspension lot. was a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but it went further than that, legal action. and It did, Rick, it did, yes. Uh, there, there just happened to be, at that game, the county attorney in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, he brought criminal charges. Uh, so I was the first professional athlete charged criminally for uh, something that happened during the game. Uh, and then so there was a, a two-week trial in the summer in Minneapolis uh, with uh, very serious charges. Right, and Sports Illustrated pick it, picked it up. And, uh, I mean, today with hockey fans that are familiar with hockey history if you mention boucher and forbes people would immediately uh, know what that means and that's one of the reasons that i wanted to do the podcast is because there's another this story did not end there and it's just a remarkable thing and that's what uh this is uh emotional for both of us you obviously because you lived it but uh it's emotional for me uh, because of just God's good work as we're going to continue to talk about what he did some, you know, 40 years later. And, and it's good for people to, it's good for believers to hear this and, and know that, that, that God stays on our case in a good way. God mm-hmm. is providentially guiding us in a good way. He loves us and uh, the, the uh, closure that we hope in our lives that can happen Sometimes we wonder, you know, can can things be resolved in in a way that we 
hope but cannot orchestrate. And there's a lot of hope here for uh, believers, but, but, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But you go through this litigation, and what was the outcome? Uh, the outcome uh, was a hung jury. There were nine of the jurors that voted to convict, and three um, voted um, not to convict. So it was a hung jury, and uh, there was no retrial, so everything was dismissed. And um, What would be the—if it was a conviction, what would be the uh, possible mm, sentence? Yeah, the charges uh, were, were aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, which faced a 10-year— imprisonment if found guilty so it was and when this uh when they said not guilty or hung jury i mean where's your mind at now in relation to anger in relation to like wow i i'm i can't even i mean i would think i can't even believe i'm in this spot what was going through your head yeah i i i i couldn't uh i i i had a hard time believing that 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 i was really in that spot because it had never happened before and and the idea of the assumption of the risk all hockey players uh, in my thinking assumed the risk you you, right. you play that game all kinds of things can happen right um and, and and it's just a part of the journey part of the game um so and then to find yourself on trial and not only on trial but this was such a public moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, violence in sports had had just been creeping up, creeping up, and mm-hmm. then this was sort of the the uh, triggering point that that launched uh, this into the, the the significant media event that it became. What were your parents' response? Well, my parents were up in Montreal, and um, well, of course, it was uh, in in the newspapers and all. They were, you know, uh, supportive. Um, um, yeah, there was, I did not have a whole lot of involvement, you know, conversations with my mom and dad at that particular time, but, uh, they were, uh, yeah, supportive. So the trial was during the summer and the hockey season started back in the fall. And so you continued to play hockey for a few more years. You interacted with Henry Boucher, uh, afterward, uh, you played against him, uh, I guess, right? I did. I did play against, uh, Henry after that. And, I, um, you know, I really wanted to convey to Henry that night the regret that I had, and I couldn't reach him. And uh, but I did see Henry at the hearing where I was before the commissioner, and I uh, went over to him, and I forget exactly what I said, but tried to convey my grief and remorse at what I had done, uh, the outcome that it was for him, uh, but. Uh, yeah, beyond that, I I hadn't had uh, any contact with Henry. Yeah, and no real closure, and you weren't a believer at that time, right? That's correct. I was not. So when did God save you? Um, God saved me. It, it was about a couple of years after that, and I, I, I of course, you can't uh, measure the magnitude of what the uh, factors were that God used to bring you to himself. I think that was certainly one that that really got my attention from the standpoint of I did something that I never thought I had the capacity in me to do. Right. You know, the Bible says that uh, that we all have a sinful heart. The magnitude of that sin is fully kept from us. Right. Uh, but here was a a moment when that was expressed in a way that that I said, "Wow." 
that's I I have to own that. That's that's really inside of me, along with all the other sin expressions that I had become aware of. So, so I knew uh, clearly that I was a sinner. I had no where to go other than there, the clear evidence of my life, and this certainly being one. What kind of pursuit uh, from that night and the regret, the following uh, court litigation, the hung jury, the whole process, getting your attention? I'm, I'm thinking about, as I've shared several times in different places, that the the event for me was being in jail at 15 years of age and the magnitude of the moment, you know, thinking, how can this possibly be? Uh, but it was, but that was the attention-getting event in my life, and it set me on a course. And, of course, not knowing Christ, all I could do was self-reform, self-help process, which is, you know, resolutions and turning over new leaves, but that's not a long-term sustainable answer for the problem that I had in my heart. I needed to be regenerated, but I did not know Christ, and so I could only do the best that I could under those circumstances, but yet I was motivated. So from that point forward, there is a two-year process. Uh, Was Christ in your uh, view at that point, or was it some form of self-reformation that eventually led you to Christ? Um, A few years prior to that, um, I bought a a Bible, uh, a living Bible, uh, in uh, 1971 okay. in Oklahoma City. I was playing in Oklahoma City, and uh, for some reason I was out driving around in my little sports car and saw this Christian bookstore kind of out in a rural area, and I, for some reason, drove in, and there was the Living Bible had just been published and bought one and brought it back, put it in the bottom drawer of my closet so my roommate wouldn't know I had oh, a Bible. Absolutely. You don't want them to find out. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so that, uh, you know, again, in God's providence b- began then. I think if this is part of your question, I, I really wanted to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. That was because I knew I was a sinner. And, and the more I thought about my life, honestly, I ran into it at every turn, the sin of my life. And, and how could God forgive me? because he had given me so much right and so i really wrestled with that and um it it was it was really just reading the bible um and and coming to realize that the god of the bible is different than the one i had made up in my own mind hey surprise right Mm -hmm. of course he is right and so verses began to come to my attention like second corinthians 5 17 therefore if any man is in Christ. He's a new creature. Right. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is nothing I wanted more than that for that to be true for me. And so God in his grace really brought together that idea of his forgiveness of me, that uh, his grace would actually do that. Right. Cleanse my heart and make me a new creation and so uh, all of God's grace but that was from my vantage point what was some of what was going on inside of me 
All right, so you uh, become born again. God regenerates you. Uh, eventually, you're, you make your way to SoCal, uh, meet the love of your life, uh, this kid from, missionary kid from South, South America. Uh, you all get married, and uh, Laura Beth, and you now retired from hockey, and you go into the financial field, and which is where you are today. Um, and so, and God blesses you uh, in your business uh, endeavors. And so now uh, you're in a position to where you can now help people uh, financially. You're doing talks, among other things. And so you find yourself in Cancun, uh, Mexico, uh, doing a, a talk, and this is 2021. So if I can get the math right, this would be 46 years later, if it was 1975, when uh, the uh, Boucher-Forbes incident. And so 46 years later, uh, you're in Cancun. What were you doing down there? Um, in January of 2020. Oh, Laura, 2020. So Laura Beth four, and I were down in, in Cancun as a part of a business conference, and I was uh, one of the speakers. And uh, there were uh, uh, owners of some of the businesses there were believers. So we had the freedom to, in our in our speaking, to share Christ and elements of whatever. Uh, and so I was, uh, uh, so after I gave my talk, which I did, I shared some of my testimony and so on and, uh, and sat down. And, uh, and then after there was a break, uh, this gentleman came up to me and introduced himself and uh, said his name and where he was from, and uh, he was from Minnesota, Minneapolis area, and uh, just said, hey, I'm a real hockey guy, and just really neat to meet another hockey guy, and that was really about the sum and substance of that conversation. But he had more up his sleeve, didn't he? I mean, he, he, he was, something was going on in his mind, right? Something was going on in his mind that we found out after. He was not only from, uh, he, he was then living in the Minneapolis area, but he grew up in War Road, Minnesota, in the very uh, far north part of Minnesota. And uh, there was a time at the end of the conference uh, uh, for sharing, for just sort of praise and uh, prayer and, and things like that. So uh, this man, uh, Bill, uh, got up and... Uh, began to talk about um, it's fine yeah began to talk about his upbringing and um, and uh, so he was talking about a guy named Henry in his life that had been um, a major influence in his life and um, and uh, Henry had a connection to hockey, and Bill had a connection to hockey, and so on. And, um, yeah, so when uh, Laura Beth and I were sitting uh, right at the front uh, a table, um, you know, right close to the platform. And so uh, when Bill went back to his seat, I kind of put my arm out, and I said, uh, hey, um, hey, Bill, um, What's Henry's last name? And he said, Boucher. I can't bail you out here because I'm a crier too. So <laughs> we're going to have to just uh, muscle through this. Uh, okay, let's do it. So um, 
so anyway, Bill went back to his seat, and then uh, later, um, after that, I, I was chatting with Bill, and uh, you know, tell me about your relationship with Henry, and it was a, still an active, fresh relationship, and so anyway, that conversation went to, um, you know, do you think Henry'd be open to having me come to Minnesota and and uh, be with him? And so Bill said, you know, I think Henry would very much love to do that so what was bill's attitude towards you uh i mean he, he was warm and friendly and there was no obviously he knew the story yeah yeah he was uh uh he um th th there was a there was a word that bill used was regret remorse um meaning meaning uh he sensed that in me that okay. that even though this was many years since, that there was something of that in me that I was not uh, had just not brushed it off as nothing because here was his dear friend, a guy that had helped him immensely in his life. So, um, uh, and I certainly communicated that to Bill that 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 was true in me. So, um, as a result of that, I said, you know, I. I have thought of Henry over the years, and um, I think I'd really, really appreciate being able to have some time with him. And I think Bill understood that. So, so he then went about um, setting that up, uh, a meeting where I could be with Henry. And what was Bill's relationship with Henry? Well, they were friends. Uh, Bill is 20-ish uh, uh, or so years younger than Henry, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Henry had kind of a fatherly uh, influence on Bill at certain intervals okay. in his life. Yep. He was going through some hard times, and Henry helped him. And uh, so Bill was a, Henry was a very special guy in Bill's life. And, uh, and as I said, the relationship was fresh. And so uh, after uh, that time in Cancun was over, Bill went, got in touch with Henry and said, Hey, uh, let me tell you what happened. I met Forbes, and, uh, you know, he like to come and be with you and all right so did uh did you contact henry how did how was the meeting arranged when you flew up to minnesota well uh we're back now in 2020 right. and the plan was that i'd go up there either in spring or summer right but with all the virus right. and so on that didn't happen in 2020 and so then when uh, that started uh, calming down i uh had sort of intermittent uh, communication with Bill over those months and uh, reached out to him and said, hey, uh, do you think we could do something this summer? Uh, this was in May, I think April or May. And uh, so Bill got in touch with Henry. Of 2021. Of 2021. Now. So just a couple of months ago. Just, uh, well, less than that. It was yeah. actually June 17th that I went up there to be with Henry. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So private meeting, public meeting was a private meeting. Uh, it, was, it was just the three of us. There, there was uh, some idea that, uh, you know, hey, should we, you know, have someone from the media there? And I, I just said, I'd really prefer not uh, because of the purpose of this time together is just for two men to... Right. Yeah. And I agree. I, I, once you turn the cameras on and put mics in front of us, it just... you're. 
it's a distraction. Yeah. And there's one thing to focus on. And uh, so uh, you walked into the room. You see Henry. You haven't seen Henry in 40. Now it's 46 years. You haven't, right? Yeah. I, I, well, you uh, maybe a, a year or two after 75 at the event, but you haven't seen him in 40-plus years. And so uh, what's going through your mind when you first lay eyes on this man? Well, I had a conversation. I actually had a couple of conversations with Henry, and we did some texting mm-hmm. in, in advance of, of that meeting. And in one of the conversations, uh, I think it was the first one, I communicated to Henry I, uh, my, my, my regret, my remorse for what I had done to him, the harm I had caused him. And... Um, what Henry said to me just kind of blew me away. He said, hey, I forgave you a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like seeing hockey players cry. I think it's a good thing. Hmm. Uh, it's, it it kind of uh, changes the image a little bit. Uh, but that's God's goodness in, in your life, uh, you know, working all these years. Uh, it's just so phenomenal. Hmm. I mean, I know that you're thinking not just horizontally, your relationship with Henry, what happened, uh, interacting with him, reconciling in the way that you did, but you're also thinking vertically, obviously, that, that God would orchestrate uh, events that it, it's just it's hard to get your mind around that the Lord would bring you from Colorado Springs to Cancun, Mexico, and bring uh, Bill uh, from Minnesota uh, there, and that you would share this testimony. I mean, mm-hmm. this is one in a million, and so you just see God's hands all over it. So, yes, it's emotional on a horizontal human level to reconcile uh, the way that you did, but it, it's even exponential uh, when you put it within a God-centered framework that the Lord is the one who is orchestrating this. And this should bring all of, and this was my point at the onset of the podcast, that this should bring us hope because there's so many folks that will listen to this and their lives aren't reconciled uh, because of sin and events that happen. And and it can happen. I don't want to give a false hope, but our hope is in God, and that stabilizes us, and it's good to hear these stories, and that's why I wanted to do this mm. uh, podcast, because there's so much negativity. I mean, we hear all the bad stories. We hear all the fracturedness that's going on in families, in marriages, in culture. It's everywhere, and now we have this thing here, and again, I appreciate you just wanting to get uh, to be able to share it. Um, humbly, I do think it would be helpful if you want to go there just to talk a little bit about reconciliation uh, because within a Christian framework um, there's divine reconciliation to God uh, and, and then in a lower level uh, there is a reconciliation that can happen between uh, human beings. Certainly what Henry did for me what a picture of forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, he has become a dear man to me in just the the short time. Um, yeah, clearly. And so, um, yeah, the idea of Henry forgiving me and me being reconciled to him for me is a picture in a human plane right, right. sense what God did for me subsequent to that uh, event in that game that God in Christ alone has forgiven me for all of my sin, all of my sin. 
And and that idea of reconciliation, it's such a wonderful word mm-hmm. loaded um, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And as I've looked at that word reconciliation, what it means, there's a an idea of exchange right at the heart of that. Mm-hmm. And in the divine sense, um, the exchange is that through Christ, God has exchanged my sin and placed it on Christ mm-hmm. for his very righteousness mm-hmm. that God has imputed to me. And that so often is missing in that element of redemption. We often stop after forgiveness, like God forgave me for all of my sin. Yes, that's profoundly, wonderfully true. But this is even better, as best as we can measure betterness, that the very righteousness of Christ, so that we would be holy and blameless before him, right? That's what Ephesians 1, God chose us in eternity past that we would be holy and blameless before him. And it's only in Christ that that can occur. Right. And that's the wonder of reconciliation. That's an excellent uh, way to end. I'm not, I can't add to that. This is episode 346. I'm having a conversation with Dave Forbes, former NHL hockey player. You have heard the story uh, beginning to end, and it's just a phenomenal uh, work of grace. Dave, thank you for being willing to uh, share all this with us, and I just entrust it to the Lord that he would use it in many lives to give hope uh, to Christians, reconciliation for fractured relationships, and and maybe even spur uh, those who do not know Christ uh, on to salvation. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.